If you have your Bible and uh, you've turned to Mark chapter 3, why don't you stand and read together God's Word. Mark chapter 3. I'm going to take you down to verse 13. It's where we'll begin this morning. If you're a guest with us, we're going through the book of Mark. We started in January. We'll go all the way through. It'll take us probably a year, maybe two, to get through the book. We're in chapter 3, verse 13 through 21. The, the man named Mark who wrote this, he has stopped now in verse 13 to give us an update, to tell us sort of what's going on. And this passage gives us the calling of the 12 apostles. And I hope for us to learn something about discipleship by reading Mark chapter 3, verse 13 21. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 13. <clears throat> and he went up on the mountain, and he called to him those he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boandrenes, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home. And the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Join me as we pray. <clears throat> Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would speak clearly through your word, and by your spirit, grip our hearts, that you would bring hope and healing and joy in the Lord, that you would find us faithful. Father, help me now that I would rightly represent what you've given us in your word and that you by the Spirit will apply it to the hearts necessary. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. In the late 12th century, Richard the Lionheart, you've heard of him, Richard the Lionheart was surreptitiously killed in battle. He was at Aquitaine, and when he died, his evil brother named John, John Lackland, got that name because he didn't have any land. His evil brother named John became the king of England. You might not know his name, but you do know Magna Carta. Under John's leadership, his ill-advised leadership, the throne would weaken, and England as a kingdom would diminish and almost crumble. If you go and read about that time in history in England, lands were lost, churches were closed down, the Pope made it, he put an interdict on the land so no churches could meet. The king, John, John was excommunicated from the church. Everything that Henry II, that's John's father, everything that Henry II had built disintegrated because the kingdom was tunneled through with a labyrinth of greed and excess and sexual immorality and, and indifference to the things of God. As I read that history, I thought to myself, that's so similar to where we are in our country. Now, although we live in a democracy, and thank God we live in a democracy, if you can keep it, thank God we live in a democracy in the United States, but as Christians, we are not just citizens of the United States, 
We are citizens of a kingdom. And our king is not weak like John Lackland. Our, our king, King Jesus, is strong. Our king lives to make us strong and to make us healthy. And in this passage this morning, as Mark pulls us aside, we are introduced to some of the elements that go into this kingdom. Mark pauses to give us an, an update and an editorial on how King Jesus starts to build his church and it starts right here in chapter 3. Here's the beginning of the church. Here's the pattern for our health and our strength as, as we live in a world that does not love our kingdom and does not welcome our king. I struggled this week, honestly. I struggled this week to open this up, to, to, to open it up so that we might find the nutrients in this passage. And I think the best way to do it is just to systematically walk through and uh, I'm going to try to use six phrases today. After I've said this, I wish I had used sentences, but they're phrases. Six phrases to show that the Lord's church will be healthy and strong. That's the theme today. The Lord's church will be healthy and strong. What's the first phrase for health and strength? The first one is, number one, Periodic separation. Or if you like sentences, we need periodic separation. Opens up in verse 13. Mark introduces us to the formation of Jesus and the 12 apostles. He is not the first among equals. He is positioned as a Messiah calling the apostles to himself. The men here will be called apostles, which is a separate office other than disciples. But Mark only uses that word two times. It's right here and another place. And although they are apostles, which we are not, they are also close followers of Jesus, which we want to be. And the text opens in verse 13 and says, verse 13, he went up to the mount. Like a new and better Moses, he goes up to the mount. The picture is him pulling away from the crowd, pulling away from people, pulling away from the busyness. You know, in a study, I try to do cross-reference. If you have a Bible with the apparatus at the bottom, it probably tells you where this is also found. You flip over and you find it in Luke. Luke tells the same story. Luke uh, goes a little further and tells us, Luke chapter 6, verse 12. In those days when he went up to the mountain and to pray. He went up to the mountain to pray. And all night, Jesus continued to pray to God. He's going to make a big decision calling the disciples. And before he did that, he spent the entire night praying. Now, when I read that cross-reference, honestly, I just got convicted. Because here in this passage is the perfect, sinless Son of God spending all night in prayer. Spending all night in prayer before he makes this big decision and calls the 12 apostles. And if Jesus prayed like that before he did something, how much more do I need the, the separation, the, the periodic separation of being alone with God and putting my concerns and my decisions and my problems and my issues before him? 
God, look, God won't build his church or bless your life if you are not drawing away with him. If you're not finding some time, an extended time of fellowship with God. Look, if tried this analogy earlier. If, if we are, if our lives are the fire, then the Bible is the wood that stokes the fire. The Spirit of God is the flame, and prayer ignites, ignites the blaze. I want, to be, I want to be strong and healthy as a Christian. I want to be in a church that's, that's filled with people that are seeking to be healthy and strong in Christ. For that to happen, I need to spend time and be alone with God. We've done it before, but I wonder if you would commit today. If you, if you would step into the commitment today, would you commit to give your mornings to God? Adrian Rogers, a great preacher of another day, Adrian Rogers said that uh, the, the, prayer, the prayer offered to God in the morning is the key that unlocks the rest of your day. The Lord's church will be healthy and strong. We need periodic separation. Let me give you another phrase, a second phrase. Here's the second one. Let's take the whole verse, verse 13, and that is divine initiative. Divine initiative. Or if you like sentences, we rely on divine initiative. Let's read all of verse 13, and notice the way Mark writes it. Verse 13. He went up on the mountain, that's Jesus, he went up on the mountain, and he called to himself those whom he desired, and they came to him. The way Mark writes it, it seems to be a larger group of people following Jesus, and from that larger group, Jesus will call out the ones he wants, the twelve. There's something else here, though. This, this verse is filled with the sovereign power of Jesus. Jesus called who he wanted, they came to him. There is, there is power in the call of God. There is Holy Spirit power in God moving. Not only that, right here in verse 13, what you have is the authority of Jesus on display. This text tells us that he chooses and he appoints and he calls his disciples. This is the very same thing What's interesting to me, Jesus says the same thing consistently. This is the very same thing Jesus says at the end of his earthly ministry. So here's the beginning of his earthly ministry. John 15, 16, on the night he was betrayed, he said this to his disciples. You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you will bear fruit. It's a beautiful picture of the sovereign Jesus. That he, he really is in control. I don't know why I got on the Adrian Rogers kick. It's easy to get on. You go listen to him preach sometime. In fact, you know what? Don't go listen to him preach. You'll come back and hear me preach and think, you know what? He's terrible. <laughs> but you listen to Adrian. He's got the best voice and the clearest exposition. Just does a great job. And Adrian Rogers said, God is sovereign so you can live with confidence. In other words, don't, you've got nothing to be afraid of. Don't be afraid. I mean, even Jesus, when Jesus is going to the cross, remember what he says when he's going to the cross? John chapter 10, verse 18. Jesus says, no one, no one takes my life from me, 
but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my father. Well, why do we stand here and talk on this for a little bit? The, the reason is the fact that he, there's this divine initiative. It gives us great hope when we share the gospel with other people. Why? Because saving them is not up to us. That's God's work. So we share the gospel. What is that? The gospel. That God is holy. We are sinners separated from God. Because we are sinners, we are we're under condemnation, Jesus said in John 3, 18. Under condemnation means that we are under the wrath of God, and when we die, we'll go to hell. It's a terrible problem that all people are in. And the gospel says that the love of God is that he gave us Christ. Jesus Christ lived perfectly, goes to the cross to take the wrath of God away from sinners, gives us his righteousness. After he died on the cross, the sign that it's accepted, that it worked, God raised him from the dead, he ascended into heaven. And the gospel offer is, if you will believe that, if you're not careful sometimes when you're talking about the gospel, it can, you can feel like you're doing a sales pitch and you're trying to get someone it's just good to remember, that's not up to us. Our obligation is to share Christ. God will do the saving through the gospel offer. Like, I want to be a strong, healthy Christian in a strong, healthy church. If that's going to happen, we need to make sure we're pulling away with God. There's times when you're, in the mornings, you're spending time with God. It means that we rely on God, that it's divine, that it's not us they're going to save people. It's God doing that. There's something else in this passage. You'll find it in verse 14, another phrase, a third phrase. And that is solid discipleship. Solid discipleship. Let me show it to you in verse 14. We turn our attention to the call of the 12, 12 apostles. Now, there are no capital A apostles anymore. That's from the baptism of Jesus to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Those were the apostles. No apostles here, but there are disciples. We can learn, we can learn a significant lesson about what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Christ, a disciple from verse 14 and verse 15. So let's read them together, and I will go into the authority given to the apostles found in verse 15, but we'll come back to verse 14, and, and I want to split it apart and show discipleship, and then we'll go to missions. Verse 14. He appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, here's discipleship, so that they might be with him. And then he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So we've read that. Let's go back to verse 14. Let's drill down on the first part of verse 14. See that little phrase? So that they might be with him. To be with Jesus to get a genuine spiritual education. These 12 men would spend every single day of, the, of their life for three years with Jesus. They would hear everything he said. They would learn from him. They would live with him. They would follow him. They would imitate him. They would be corrected by him. They would grow because of him, becoming more like Christ. Now, since we don't have the physical bodied Jesus here with us, how do we grow? 
Jesus ascended into heaven, Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit descended and the church was born. So that if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, you have been filled with the Holy Spirit. How then do we grow as disciples? God has given us tangible ways. The first one is, well, not to grow as a disciple. Number one is going to be just coming to corporate worship. Actually being here in corporate worship, singing the songs of God, being encouraged. Today we're encouraged by children on the stage. gives us hope for the future. We sang to the Lord about Christ being ours. We open the Bible and see what does the text say. Worship is not dependent on any one person. Worship is dependent on word and spirit. That God speaks to our hearts and worship. You can't grow as a Christian if you don't actually come to church. What else do you need? You need daily Bible intake. Worship and daily Bible intake. We have the greatest privilege really in history. I mentioned the 12th century. There were no Bibles given to people at church in the 12th century. You and I right now have multiple copies of God's Word. You've probably got Bibles at your house stuck in drawers, on shelves. You might have them on the floorboard of your car. We've got so many Bibles we don't know what to do with. We've got Bibles we get different versions of English Bibles. What a privilege it is to actually have the Word of God in a language that you understand. Not only Bible intake, but focused, we need focused prayer and confession. Focused prayer, a good thing to do. Take the Lord's Prayer and line it out and just let that be your outline on what you say in your prayers. Lifting your concerns to God your Father, whose will in heaven we pray would be done right here on earth. That our daily bread would be given, that we would be protected from sin. And then when we do sin, we confess but a confession of sin is not just, I'm a sinner. A confession of sin is, yes, I am a sinner separated from God, but for Christ who lived in my place and died in my place, I claim the righteousness of Jesus. When we confess, we confess our sin. We also confess we're forgiven in grace. You're going to grow as a Christian. We need to make sure that you're part of a small group, that you are in a small group. People know your name, can look into your life, can take care of you when things go south in your life. You can have men and women investing in you, two or three that are helping and praying for you, and you're reading books together, growing in grace. And, and the last element of discipleship is the fact that you're seeking to obey. I have our children's musical tonight here. What did you call it, the unbearable parable? I can't remember what he said. We have our children, and you come and you'll see them, and there'll be grandparents and parents here, uh, and it's making videos. But you know what? If you look past that, what you have there is children that 10, 12 years from now are going to be living in a world where the moral flow is going against everything they believe, and they're going to need to know how to obey. How do I obey what God has called me to obey? And part of what we do is to instill strength to put steel into their backbones from all the things that I've mentioned so that we can actually live lives of obedience. Look, God has given us His church. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us His Word. He's given us people, one another. 
He's given us the hope of the gospel. And with those things enough, the Lord's church will be healthy and strong. Let me give you something else you'll find. In verse 14, now that was the first half of verse 14. Let's take the second half. First half is discipleship. Second half is ministry. That'll be my fourth phrase, gospel ministry. Gospel ministry. Go back with me. Let's read verse 14, especially the last half of verse 14. <clears throat> and he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that he might be, so that they might be with him, discipleship, and he might send them out to preach. See that? He appointed them, called them, what for? To commission them. That's what we did with Case and Amber. Send them out to, to herald, to declare, to say, to actually speak, to give an account for the hope that is within you. Look, the, fo the focus of Christian ministry is a narrow focus. A narrow focus that has broad applications. So what is the narrow? The narrow focus is the saving power, right? The saving power of the gospel. Why? Because God is love and hell is real and people don't have to go to hell. The saving power of Jesus. That's what our narrow focus of ministry is, the gospel. Now, it, is, it has applications. Why do we do the food pantry? Just to be nice and help people get food? Just because they're social programs? Is that what this is? No. Food pantry. Why do we do that? Because Jesus is the bread of life that will feed your soul for eternity. So we feed people hoping to point back to what Christ does for our souls. Because people might live 30, 40, 50 more years. You live to be 99 years. 99 years is just a drop in eternity. Why do we have the closed closet? It's a ministry. Why do we do that? We do that just because we think it's something nice to do? No, we do that because we believe that if you are not clothed in the righteousness of Christ, when the wedding feast comes, you'll be cast out. So we, we clothe people to point to. I know hearts and hammers build. They do so because unless the Lord builds a house, those who labor do so in vain. We, we are... We are Sent out. It's one thing to gather together, be with Jesus. We are sent. What did John Piper say? John Piper said that missions exist because worship doesn't. We desire for people to know Jesus. We want people to know the God that created them through Jesus Christ, his son, who will save them. Why, why do we press for all races and ethnicities. Why do we talk about that? Is that just because we're trying to be up with the time? No, it's because at the cross, at the cross, Jesus reconciled us to God and to one another and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Why do we gather on Sundays? We gather on Sundays to, to worship and to be healed, to be strengthened, to be lifted up, to be reminded that there's hope so that we can be sent out and preach Christ with our lives and with our mouths. Is that how you see your life? As a gospel, ministry, whatever, whatever career or job or way of income, whatever you have 
that God has given you and you make money, that money has been given to you to fund missions. You, you're the missionary. That's been given to you so that you might be on mission. They used to do it in the old churches. I wish we, maybe we'll get us some signs to put out when you're leaving. Signs that say, you are now entering the mission field. I want the Lord's church to be healthy and strong. Four phrases. Let me give you a fifth, number five. Number five, diverse family. We are, you like a sentence? Subject, verb, object. We are a diverse family. Verse 16, he appointed the 12, the text says, 12 is on purpose, 12 tribes of Israel. That is an extension of God's people. Jesus now would come in as an extension of Israel and the new Israel, an extension of God's people in Christ. Verse 16, 17, 18, and 19, you have a list of 12 apostles. If you read the Bible, you find four such lists. Uh, Luke chapter 6, Acts chapter 1, Matthew chapter 10. The lists are similar, but there are some variances. You read the list, you find a tax collector, a radical, four fishermen, a betrayer, and five guys we don't really know much about. All the lists are, are arranged differently except one, except one thing. What you have is every list has Judas Iscariot, the betrayer, as the last one mentioned. And every list has Peter as the first one. Let's go there, verse 16. Let's start with Peter. What do we know about Peter? The text tells us he is Simon, son of John. He's brother of Andrew. Jesus gave him the name Peter. His actual name is Simon. Uh, the name is Petros in Greek, Cephas in Aramaic. It means rock, the rock. I don't know if he had a head like a rock or if Jesus was looking forward that he would build. We don't know why he got that name early. We know he was impetuous. We know he was a leader in the church of Jerusalem. We know that he had feet of clay and a mouth that got away from him from time to time. We know that his heart was for Christ. And after the resurrection, we know that Peter was unflappable. He wrote 1 and 2 Peter in the New Testament. He probably gave all the information to Mark to write the gospel of Mark. That's Peter. Let's round out the inner circle. James and John in verse 17. James and John. They have a nickname, Boadrones, Boadrones, the nickname, which means sons of thunder. Why did Jesus give them the name? I mean, it sounds like a WWE, sons of thunder. Why did he give them that nickname? We don't know. Maybe um, marked later on in Mark, Mark chapter 9, uh, there's, they came upon some people casting out demons in the name of Jesus. So James and John run over there and try to stop them by force, picking a fight. Or, or maybe in Luke chapter 9, they go into a Samaritan village and the Samaritans won't, they're not having it. And so James and John are like, let's, let's burn the place to the ground. Let's call down fire. I mean, go, go read it sometime. So maybe that's why. Maybe he called them that because of the way they reacted. The funny thing about James and John, James, James will be the very first apostle to be martyred for the faith. He'll die first. John, his brother, will live the longest. John will be on the island of Patmos. John will write five books in the New Testament, the Gospel of John, Revelation, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. That rounds out the inner circle. Then there's Andrew. Verse 18 is Andrew. 
Andrew's the one, uh, he's best known for bringing Peter to Jesus. Andrew was a follower of John the Baptist before he became a follower of Jesus. Then there's Philip in verse 18. Philip is the one that heard the Gentiles say, Sir, we would see Jesus. And what does Philip do? Philip takes these people to Andrew. Andrew takes them to Jesus. Then there's Bartholomew. Bartholomew is not really even a name. Bartholomew is a title, son of Ptolemy. Bartholomew is not a name. It, he is probably, this one is probably the disciple named Nathaniel. It's what you find in John's Gospel. Nathaniel, uh, remember him? Nathaniel's the one that said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Jesus said about Nathaniel, here's an, Israel, here's an Israelite in whom there is no guile. In other words, Nathaniel's the kind of guy that what you see is what you get. We know Matthew is Levi, the tax collector. We already met him. Then there's Thomas, Thomas, anxious Thomas, anxious, worried, doubting Anxious, always, anxious Thomas, always expecting evil. Hard for Thomas to be optimistic. He's a sort of a glass half full guy. He's a pessimist. You know, every pessimist thinks they're a realist. Every pessimist. He's a, he, think, he thinks why. He's the one that doubts so bad when Jesus, the, he hears Jesus had been there. He wasn't there when Jesus shows up. Don't forget, Tom, he's the one that, that put his hands there. And his phrase, my Lord and my God. What about James, verse 18, James, son of Alphaeus? He could be known as James the Young or James the Less. That's about all we know of him. Thaddeus is probably uh, listed in John 14 as Judas, who's not Iscariot. And then there's Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot, he's a radical right-wing guy. He's into politics. He, he wants to overthrow the Roman government. He's joined their band. And then the last one, verse 19, Judas Iscariot. I never understand it. I don't, I, I don't get that. The betrayer. Like, like if Jesus, he knows, and yet he pulled the betrayer. You step back from this, and you think about these, these men. They're laymen. There's not a preacher, there's not a prophet, there's not a scholar, there's not an expert in the bunch. And any way you cut it, when you look at the individual men, what we know of them, it was a strange and imperfect and diverse group of men that the Lord called to be his disciples and to build his church. All of them so different all of them devoted to Christ. The verse family. One last phrase, if you'll just stay with me, this one last phrase. That is gracious determination. Gracious determination. Verse 20 and 21, it's hard to know what to do with this passage. It's so weird and embarrassing that Mark, he's the only one to record the incident. The other gospel writers don't tell us about this. Let me read it to you. You'll see why. Then he went home. That's Jesus. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize, to arrest, to, to intervene, to get him. 
because they kept saying, he has lost his mind. John tells us in John chapter 7, verse 5, that even his own brothers, the brothers of Jesus, did not believe him early on. They, they thought he was crazy and tried an intervention. I was talking to Connie last night about this passage. I was like, babe, what do you, what do you think the application of this passage is? She said the application is, sometimes your family thinks you're crazy. That don't mean you are. <laughs> that could be, there could be a really good application. But I think if you step back from this, if you step back from it, and you think about history, what happens three years the history of Jesus' life, his death and resurrection, his ascension. When the Gospels close out and you open up to Acts chapter 1, who do you find in the early church? You find Mary, the mother of Jesus. You find his brothers there in Jerusalem. They put their faith in the resurrected Jesus. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 1 verse 19, Paul mentions James and he calls him the Lord's brother. There are two, two books in our New Testament written by the half-brothers of Jesus, James and Jude. I think the point can be, don't write people off when they reject you, especially family. Conversion, conversion sometimes takes time. It takes time with some people. And they might even think that you're insane. Be graciously determined to keep sharing Jesus and loving people to Christ. Look, the Lord's church, that's what we are. The Lord's church will be healthy and strong. We want to be a church that is built on the gospel of Jesus Christ. In a moment, we're going to sing. And when we do, I want you to sing with your heart to the Lord. But before we do that, I want us to close my time of preaching and our time of worship in the Word with a word of prayer and commitment. Won't you join me now as we pray together? With your heads bowed this morning, I want you to think with me, which of these spoke most to you? Maybe your life has gotten so rushed you have... Uh, not intentionally set aside a separated time with God, and you need that. Maybe this morning you want to commit, redouble your commitment. Maybe you've carried the weight of the world and you felt like it's all dependent on you, and you just need to be reminded today of the divine initiative that Jesus does the saving. You got somebody really close to you, maybe somebody you love, maybe a son or a daughter husband or a wife that's not a Christian and rejected and you felt the weight of that it's good for you to be it's good for you to, to feel that but don't let it overwhelm you trust that what that God will do that maybe it's maybe it's solid discipleship you've been a member of this church and for the first time in a long time you feel like you know what? I need to be growing in Christ or you need to be doing something sharing the gospel or maybe God has brought you here and you've you feel like, I don't know if I belong or not. I don't fit in with everybody. Look, don't go to somewhere where you think you fit in. God's family is a diverse family. He calls people from all walks of life to be together to build his church. Maybe you got somebody you just sort of gave up on and you just 
have been reminded this morning, I need to have gracious determination, even if they think you're crazy. You keep sharing Jesus and loving them to Christ. Father, we thank you for the good grace you give us in Jesus. We pray that you find us faithful, that you build your church, that we would be focused on the gospel, that we would point people to the grace found in Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would raise up in our members more and more of those living their lives on mission. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.